Welcome to the Roboticist Chronicles, an ARC Specialties podcast, where we get into the nuts and bolts of robots, automation, and the implications of an evolving machine workforce. Hello and welcome to the Roboticist Chronicles. I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're diving into the exciting topic of robotic surgery with Dr. Stefan Kreutzer. Dr. Kreutzer is a world expert on robotic joint replacement surgery. Dr. Kreutzer, thank you so much for joining us here on the Roboticist Chronicles. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And as always, we have Dan Alford, president of ARC Specialties on the podcast with us as well. Dan, good to talk to you today. Well, good to be here. This is a segment I've been looking forward to. I've been looking forward to it as well because, Dan, you and I have talked about the, the possibility of recording this podcast for a while now, so I've, uh, I'm excited to see it come to fruition. So, Dr. Kreutzer, let's just start off with the basics. How long have you been a surgeon? How long have you been performing surgery? Uh, so I graduated from my residency in orthopedics in 2001 uh, after having done a fellowship with an adult joint reconstruction and started practice in 2001 in Effingham, Illinois. Didn't work out, came back to Houston and been in Houston since 2002 ever since. So when did you first become aware of the possibilities of, of robotic surgery? Where in your career were you when, you when you discovered that this was something that existed and maybe something that was possible? Yeah, I remember very well. I was at a conference in Dallas and one of my very good friends and colleagues introduced me to this new technology called Mako. At the time, he was the only one that had one, and it had just gotten FDA cleared. And uh, I checked into it and fell in love with it, thought that this would really change the future for us. That was back probably in 2003 or four. At the time, the robot was very expensive, cost probably close to a million dollars. So it took a while for the hospital to be convinced to purchase one. And we actually purchased the third unit ever made at MHOSH, which at the time was a privately owned, physician-owned hospital, uh, and started doing cases. So when did you and Dan first meet, and how did you start working together? What, what were those conversations like when you guys first got together? Yes, yeah, so, you know, ever since then, I've been very involved in robotic surgery with developing of knee platforms, hip platforms, and then got into the autonomous robot platform, and then Dan was introduced to me by a patient of mine who have done three joint replacements on one knee and two hips. And he knew my passion for robotics. And he also knew Dan and says, you know, I got to get these two guys together and maybe they'll come <laughs> up with something. So Dan and I met in my office. I remember very well. I kind of told him what, what our requirements are as far as accuracies are concerned. And Dan started laughing, says, oh, if that was my goal in my business, I would be going out of business. So, um, and it was just very refreshing on, on meeting with him because he has such a vast background in robotics and he was really excited about exploring if we could do something. Dan, do you remember that, that first meeting? What, what did you think as you, uh, as you discussed the world of, uh, and the possibilities of, uh, of robotic surgeries? Well, this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. You know, in my opinion, there's no higher calling than medicine. And as a roboticist, I don't get to do a lot of medicine. So I was eager to uh, learn something more about the, about the industry. And we've always found that we can take solutions that we have developed for completely uh, different problems and then reapply them. And, and I suspected that was the case here. But when, uh, when the doctor said that they were having trouble holding two millimeter accuracy and we we're an order of magnitude better than that, I knew that there was an application for my technology. So uh, 
after our first conversation, uh, we actually went online, found someone's femur that they posted online. We 3D printed one here at the shop. And just to demonstrate that it was feasible, uh, you know, we did the crude version of a uh, five cut replacement. Well, we did some fancy things like putting in some radii and such, just trying to show off what robots could do. And uh, it was good enough that the doctor uh, decided we would continue. So, Doctor, what were your first impressions from that experience and from seeing uh, firsthand what Dan was able to do with uh, with robotics? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was impressive on how quickly the, the development cycle was with Dan. I mean, you know, his, his computer programmer and his team got together and they sort of asked me a few questions. What, what do we need to do? And I said, this is what it needs to do. And they were able to execute. And, you know, what we do technically is is quite simple. I mean, like Dan said, there's, there's five cuts and they are flat cuts. And we've really not changed how we do knee replacement over the last 30 years. We might have changed a little bit the implant. And the reason why we haven't changed is because we're limited to a tool called a saw and a saw can only make flat cuts. And what's so exciting about working with, with a robot and somebody that knows how to program a robot it can cut any shape you want. And then you can completely rethink on how you design implants. You can do resurfacing implants. You can cut a tongue and groove to create, you know, uh, inherent stability. You can do small little lesions. I mean, it's just the, the mind goes crazy when you think about what you can do when you have a different tool. So what are you guys working on now? What, what's, what's going on in the world of robotics and, and, and surgeries? And, and have you seen robotics maybe change the way that you do surgeries? Um, you know, from what you're describing, it sounds like there are some new possibilities and some new things that could come about from utilizing these methods. Yeah, so if, if I may answer this, Dan, uh, to kind of give the, the state of the art what it is today, and then you, you can explore on, on, on what your industry can contribute to making it really a, a change. But currently there are two main platforms available. Uh, one is a uh, haptically guided saw that does flat cuts. And then one is an autonomous robot called Think Surgical that cuts flat planes as well, but with a side cutting burr. So really the process is you get a preoperative CAT scan and then that CAT scan gets converted into a 3D model. You then do a surgical plan where you place the implant as accurately as possible. And then you have a tool to execute that plan. The limit is that every patient is a unique patient. And so you have to have some flexibility in doing that. And the autonomous world currently does not have that flexibility with intraoperative changeability. And that's really where uh, I think the platform that we're, we're working on with Dan can change the game. Currently, the, the robots that they're using are SCARA arms, which are, those were arms we used for assembly in robotics, uh, you know, 10 years ago, but they really don't lend themselves to robotic machining. So but that's not the way we do it. And, you know, we're handling robotic machining on metal parts now. So we might as well duplicate what we're doing on metal on bone is a lot, lot softer anyway. So we're running collaborative robots because by definition, this robot is going to be in surgery with the doctor. So it needs to be collaborative. It needs to be safe to work around not only the patient, but the physician. So a collaborative robot's first step, plus rather than a scare configuration, we're running a, an articulated arm, which is, that's the way that we do most things in industry now, because an articulated arm gives you total flexibility on uh, not only the where your tool path goes, but how you approach the point. 
because unlike machining metal parts where we don't really care about where the, uh, the spindle of the mill is, for example, when we're doing uh, surgery on people, there are various tendons and things that, that uh, we need to avoid cutting. And so using uh, seven axis articulation, uh, we can reach these points while avoiding all the, uh, the, the tissue that we're trying to uh, not damage. Yeah, to add to that, you have to be perfect every time. It's not like you can take another piece of wood and cut it again. You know, there's, you, there's no room of error. And so from a regulatory standpoint, from a testing standpoint, it's just a much longer process. And so you really have to set it up correctly from the beginning. And what Dan said is very good at that. There are tendons and ligaments that we don't want to cut. We only want to cut bone. And we have to be very, very safe. So you brought up testing. How do you test these, these different methods and, and new advances in, in robotic surgeries? What, what kinds of methods do you, do you have, you know, cadavers and things like that that you can use to test the effectiveness of some of these methods? Yeah, so the, the regulatory process in, in healthcare is quite involved. There are different ways of getting things approved to the FDA, and the FDA decides what that process is. We're hopeful that the process will be what's called a 510K approval process, where you have to show that you are at least as good as what's currently on the market. But in robotics, they will always require you to do some degree of safety study because you got to prove that you don't cut things you don't want to cut. You got to test accuracy. If you say you're going to cut three millimeters, you got to prove that you're really cutting three millimeters. And a lot of that work is done uh, initially with saw bones, which every bone is the same in order to use as a development tool. But then you got to get into cadavers because that's a real life situation where you have those tendons and ligaments and other structures, arteries and nerves that you don't want to cut that you can then do post-operative CAT scan or post-operative MRI scans, or you can do even dissections to see, did you cut anything you did not intend to cut? That's really fascinating. Dan, have you been a part of, of some of those tests? What, what's that experience been like for you? Well, the saw bones are commercially available bone, and and uh, and they're made out of foam. They, they they pretty much duplicate, you know, the experience of cutting bone, but it's without all the soft tissue. So we we've got a lot of saw bones here in our laboratory, and then then we're starting to do tissue labs, as the, as the doctor's talking about, because uh, you don't really know in, in, until you're actually cutting real real human bone, and so it's it's worked out well. Fortunately, people have donated their bodies, you know, to develop you know, new improved processes. And uh, I feel a certain reverence, you know, when we're, when we're doing this, you know, that they contributed to the improvement of the state of the art, but yeah, we're, we're, we're getting into that. One problem with sawbones, for example, is they only sell lefts and uh, we can't uh, practice on rights with sawbones. So fortunately we have uh, 3d printers here at our specialty. So we've been 3d, 3d printing some right knees to develop before we, uh, before we go cut any tissue. So, Dr. Kreutzer, do you interact, I'm sure you do on some level, do you interact with other surgeons or anybody else who is um, maybe skeptical of the role of robotics in surgery? Or, um, you know, what are those conversations like if you do interact with any of those people? What, you know, what, what types of objections do they have and, and how do those conversations typically go? Oh, there, there's lots of objections. I mean, it's, you know, one of the technologies that gets criticized is computer navigation. Computer navigation is a tool that actually plays a role in robotics as well, that guides you making the cuts a little bit more accurately. And people say, you know, I don't use GPS to drive home, right? I know how to get home. 
But then my argument is, well, if I drive home from downtown Houston, I'm going to use Waze because it will tell me the best way to drive home. And that's what these technologies do. You know, a good surgeon can have good outcome most of the time, but that's just not good enough. We need to have a not so good surgeon have excellent outcome all the time. And I think that's where robotics can play a huge role. Because currently, there's a frightening statistics. 70% of all knee replacements are done by surgeons who do 10 or less a year. So think about that. So if we can make that surgeon a better surgeon for those 10 operations, and really robotics is not a, if we train it properly, just about anybody can incorporate that into their workflow. I think we've done a great deal of good for society. Can robotics be used to help speed up or accelerate the, the learning curve for maybe new surgeons that are coming in? Can, can robotics play a role in that? Very good question, Tyler. And, you know, I've been very involved in robotics in the development. And I always say that having been part of the development cycle and having used these technology made me a better surgeon. Because when I then do a knee with regular implants, I kind of know what it looks like when it's perfect. And then with regular instruments, I have a better appreciation. So it's actually a learning tool as well. And from that standpoint, you know, if we can do better, we need to. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Tyler. You know, it's not uncommon for a factory that has one of my robots, you know, welding or drilling or, or whatever operation to be the first step for a trainee. They operate my machine because the machines, they do the same thing every time and it's correct. You know, it was the best that the programmer could possibly do. And so my robots train welders, they train machinists, and uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the day that they train surgeons. I like the sound of that. I, I really do. So, so doctor, if I need to go in for, for a knee replacement surgery and a, a robot is involved in the process, tell me how, from a patient's perspective, that changes the procedure for me. Or, you know, will I notice a difference in the outcome? Will I have a different experience? Yeah, I think currently we do not have enough data to support that a robot will have an improved clinical outcome. Mm-hmm. For some reason, some of the device companies have not done the studies. Some of the studies that have done that show improvement were highly biased. Uh, I recall a study done by one of the designers in London, which was not a randomized controlled study, not blinded, and it showed improved clinical outcome, but it was really biased and very criticized. We know that a poorly placed implant performs poorly and has early failure. So we can conclude that a well-placed implant placed more accurately will have better outcome and last longer. But these studies have to be done. We have to do good randomized controlled studies to prove that robotics does better than conventional instruments. But again, what's really exciting about, especially the technology that Dan and I are working on is that it will allow us to rethink on how we design implants. Currently, the the implants are designed in order to be forgiving. It's kind of like a a flip-flop that comes in size nine, 10, and 11. It doesn't come in nine and a half and 10 and a half because you don't need to because all all you've got to do is squeeze between your big toe and your middle and your second toe. And that's how we design implants. We design them so that most surgeons with crude instruments can put them in fairly accurately and the patient will do okay. If you have a very specific implant that's may even be tailored to your bone, custom made, 
and you don't put that implant in perfectly, then it won't function well. It's just like when I make a custom shoe for your foot and I put it on my foot, even if I'm the same size, it's not going to fit. It's actually going to have a bunch of pressure points because I may have a bunion or I may have a, a long middle toe and I'll have a blister. So custom implants combined with robotics is the holy grail and is the future. And that's where I hope we get with developing this technology. Dan, what excites you most about the work that you're doing with Dr. Kreutzer? Continuous new challenges. I've, I've really enjoyed my opportunities once we started working together to observe surgery. And uh, I learned so much in the process because I'm obviously not a surgeon. This is a unique case for us. Normally, we are the process experts here. We're, we're far from it. Uh, we're the robot guys. But I think that this task is so large, the magnitude is so large, that, that the collaboration of a skilled surgeon and a robotics group is probably the right solution. But I remember one time in, in uh, surgery, the doctor brought the implant over to me and says, Dan, you see this sharp corner? So this is where they fail. And I said, doctor, you know, in engineering, they say you've never designed something like that because this is a failure site waiting to happen. But the limitations of current technology are you have to put these sharp corners in because they're cutting these five cuts with a saw. So uh, that I'm dying to do this. You know, if, if we have an implant with radius corners, it'll last longer and the robot will cut the radii to match that and improve fit. So we can have a, have the chance for these, these implants to grow into the bone like they do on the hip implants. Lots, lots of little things like this. I'm constantly seeing opportunities to improve the outcome more than just automating the cutting. Dr. Kurtz, how, how do you, how do you, see the, um, like you were mentioning, the, the custom implant that's put in the way that Dan is talking about, how does that improve? I suppose it, you might not be able to exactly answer that, but that would, in theory, improve patient outcomes, correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, right now we have eight sizes fits no one. And the sizes, <laughs> you know, increase anywhere from three to four millimeters in the AP dimension. And we have one AP dimension for one ML. AP meaning anterior posterior, ML meaning medial lateral. So there's always a degree of compromise and, you know, either it's too narrow or it's too wide. And so a custom implant could eliminate a lot of those problems. Also, if you look at a hundred people's legs, when they're in shorts, some are bow like it, some are not neat, some are straight, nobody's the same. Uh, right. And so how, how did we ever think that eight implant sizes is enough for everyone? But the reason we only have eight implant sizes is because inventory is so expensive and the device companies don't want to have a big inventory because it's money in the field that doesn't generate revenue. Hmm. With a robotic platform, you can do a knee in a box. So you, you make a custom knee and you ship one femur, one tibia, and maybe a couple of polys. And you can eliminate inventory in the field. You can also eliminate essentially instruments in the field because I don't need a saw. I don't need a cutting jig. I don't need... So I always tried to involve myself in projects in healthcare, the first question I always ask is, is it cost neutral? Because we can't increase healthcare costs. And, you know, maybe one of these days we'll do a podcast on health economics because that's another one of my hobbies. We need to do um, this. We, we have to be cost neutral. And so I always ask Daniel, how much is this going to cost? How much is it going to cost? How much is this going to cost? And so if we can develop a robot but eliminate instruments and inventory in the field, I'm certain we can make this cost neutral. And that's where we need to be. And then... If we have the added benefit of being clinically better, yes, we have done something for society. Hmm. 
So do you do you see that happening at some point where where robotics is a is a predominant player then in surgery at some point uh, in the in the future? And if so, you know what what is your what is your timeline uh, estimate on that look like? I would be so bold in saying that in five years from now, fifty percent of knee replacements are done with robotics. It may take ten years because the regulatory process uh, mm -hmm. is unpredictable and FDA sometimes becomes tougher. You know, in Europe. The European equivalent of FDA has just done a 180 and it's gotten really difficult to get anything approved over there. But it's everybody talks about robotics and in, in, in orthopedics. It's a bony operation and we got to do better. And you got someone like Dan who's uh, excited to be uh, tackling the challenges working along with you. So that's uh, that seems like a seems like a really good partnership. And it seems like uh, something that you're both very excited to work on. So I'm excited to see what you guys continue doing in the future. Absolutely. This is, this is the fun part of my job is, is, is going into new industries and reapplying uh, old solutions and trying to solve some problems. Uh, and this is the, definitely one of the most challenging projects I've ever had, but we've got a, we've got a killer team here, so I, I think it's going to work. Well, I'm excited to, uh, you know, to continue to follow what you guys are doing and, uh, and to continue learning more about it because it's extremely exciting. And so this has been a really fun conversation. So Dr. Stefan Kreutzer, thank you so much for joining myself and Dan Alford here on the Roboticist Chronicles today. Yeah, who would have thought that probably the most experienced robotic surgeon and the most experienced robotic developer live within two miles of each other, right? So there's, there's, <laughs> there's got to be something there that we can, uh, we can uh, change something, so... Something in that in that humid air in Houston just uh, lured you both there somehow. Sounds like it. So, well, thank you so much, Tyler. It's been a pleasure. Great questions. You 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 seem to really understand the field. So, thoroughly enjoyed it. I've just recorded a lot of these with Dan, so I uh, <laughs> th that, that's my that's my background. But uh, thank you, Dr. Kreutzer, for joining us today, and everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Roboticist Chronicles. Of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes. But until then, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or go to the Arc Specialties website. You can find all of the podcasts there, and we will be back soon. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. 